1: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We know that there has been so much violence, but seeing the level of strength and dignity and level of resilience and survival also makes sense to me. Why Black folks from the diaspora are so enraged, right?
0: Hi there. Welcome to Students of Mind, the mental health podcast made by Curious Minds for Curious Minds. On this podcast, we the hosts are just like you, eager to learn more about the mind. Here, we learn with you and provide you with clear, concise information backed up by real experts about all things mental health. My name is Jade, and on today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Jennifer Mullen to have a conversation about what it means to decolonize mental health. Today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Mullen. Dr. Mullen is a psychologist and founder of Decolonizing Psychology, LLC, where she and her colleagues call mental health professionals in, instead of calling them out, to reassess their education and their practices to start gearing therapy towards the people being served. Dr. Mullen's work addresses inequities based on race, gender, class, ability, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Her research and clinical interests include complex and intergenerational trauma, group psychotherapy, LGBTQIA wellness, spirituality and mindfulness practices, racism as trauma, healing in therapeutic settings, self-love as a revolutionary act, and the process of decolonizing mental health. Welcome Dr. Mullen. Um, thank you for being here. And I'm so glad we were finally able
1: to work this out. Likewise. Thank you for having me here, Dane. I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, so I know I said, um, a bunch of stuff about the work you do, but can you talk a little bit more about yourself and the work you do and also just how you've been doing lately with everything going on?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, it, when I hear my bio, every time I hear it, I'm like, who is that? Is that me? <laughs> right. Because I'm a regular person. I'm a regular, regular person. Um, mm-hmm. But I do realize that the work that we're embarking and doing is groundbreaking and yet ancient at the same time. Right. It, it is it is modern in that there's a modern approach um, to mental health. It's a modern approach to therapy and psychology in the sense that we're asking people to look at the political surroundings, right? To look at how people are thriving, whether they're thriving, um, what is killing queer indigenous people of color, what is helping us go into pockets of joy, um, but also utilizing and relying on the more ancient practices and rituals and ways of doing things um, for many of our people right? So many of our people really thrived in community. Um, many of our people really thrived um, being in balance with nature and the environment. And many people also thrived um, paying attention to their bodies on a deeper level, rather than feeling so disconnected and overworked in their, in their physical bodies. So um, part of what I think, that decolonizing therapy has started to morph into is a vehicle for healing and exploration that is not, and in no disrespect to social justice, but it's not just social justice. It is truly like peeling back the layers and saying, hey, um, what do our people need to heal? And it's like, wait, it's been there all along. It's just a matter of cutting through some of the um, Eurocentric paradigms some of the teachings, some of the ways in which we have been taught and conditioned to fall in line and start falling back on our intuition, on indigenous practices, on ways of moving within our bodies and with each other. So I know that's a really long explanation, um, but yeah, what I do is help people go back to their natural ancestral roots to find healing, not just treat which is what I think a lot of us are taught to do in like our graduate programs. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I work also full time at a university counseling center in the inner city. So I'm deeply in it, so to speak at the same time. I mean, so it's decolonizing therapy as much as I want to give like all of my time and energy to this work and to this business. The reality is, it is a movement and it's going to take long. Right. So just like Nipsey Hussle said that it's a marathon, right. It's not a sprint. It's the same thing. Like I'm taking it slow and patient because it's not just about me. It's about, you know, also training other people, getting people on board, having a movement where things actually work, if that, if that makes any sense. Um, and yeah, how am I doing? Thank you for asking. How am I doing during this time? Um <laughs> uh highs and lows, I think that that's real right i I am when I need to rest, it's like I can't see another person, I can't do another thing, I can't function so I'll, um my inner little like get everything right person in me, my inner child is really like struggling because I have to cancel things, I'm late for things, I have to reschedule because when when my whole body and spirit is like no it's like a body slam like no I can't and then I have to really just like rest otherwise I'll get really anxious or feel really down you know like I'll I'll get all these things happening to me um, or I won't sleep you know things of that nature but I have to be honest in saying in the last month I think I've gotten better at setting better boundaries And I've gotten better at making sure I'm walking at the park safely socially distanced with a mask on um I like the fall you know in 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 the Jersey New York area the fall is everything so the, the weather's getting crisper you know the sunsets are beautiful um so I'm managing and I have periods of grieving it's both it's everything you know I have periods of grieving and managing managing and grieving but Thank you for asking. How are you?
0: <laughs> am I allowed, am I allowed yeah. to ask? Am I allowed to ask? <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> thank you for asking. That's funny. I I I don't really talk about on here how like I'm doing. So that's interesting that you asked, but um I'm okay. I think I've definitely in the past month have been experiencing more grief than I have in the beginning of this year. Um but I feel like I'm also the best equipped that I've ever been to handle the grief. So it's like on one end, it's like, oh, it sucks that I'm feeling all of this. But it's also like, wow, I'm in this place for the first time in my life where I feel like I have tools to
1: handle it. Yeah, that makes perfect Yeah. Sense. Yeah.
0: And I, you know, I wanted to ask you how you were doing because I feel like When I have like people come on the show or when I just see like mental health professionals um, like on the media, they're talked to as the expert and they're expected to like come prepared with all this information and be there to support people. But I feel like they need (laughs) some support, too, and they need to be asked if they're okay. Um, So I just wanted to make sure that that space is here for you as well.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. Um I think that's yeah. part of like decolonizing the work, right, is mm-hmm. making sure that we're humanized as well and not just placed as like, oh you're the expert, you know better because if that just like continues this icky hierarchy, you know, yeah. uh, and it's it's not it's not safe and it's it could be violent. So thank you. Right. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Um so I initially wanted to do a episode focused on intergenerational trauma okay um and i came across uh decolonizing psychology and i thought it was like monumental in the world of mental health um especially from like a patient's perspective where uh treatment is healing like in my mind that's what healing was the only form of healing I knew was like going to my therapist and my psychiatrist and like the few times I was like hospitalized I wasn't really aware that healing was a little bit different and I could heal through like my own culture um so I think the first thing I want to ask is um Just what does it mean to decolonize therapy and why do we need to do it?
1: Yeah, great questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So in decolonizing therapy, it is a practice of decolonizing our internal selves, our minds as well. The way that we have been taught to think about relationship, the way that we have been taught to think about mental health, my area, (laughs) Um, the way that we have been taught to um, fall in line, And not respond. So in decolonizing therapy, we're undoing and unpacking years. I'm talking hundreds, if not thousands of years of brainwashing, of conditioning, right? Um, Because it hasn't always served Black, Indigenous, Brown people across the diaspora right um what also shows up for me um in decolonizing therapy is a return to ancestral practices and ways yeah and a return to knowing the self like who are we who are you not you but you know like yeah. who are you like wh- what are some of the labels and the identities that we apply to ourselves and how do we work with all of the person within the therapeutic frame. But more importantly, whether you're a therapist or just someone who's interested, how do you work with your own stuff? Like, how do you unpack the ways that you've been conditioned to think about body size and sexuality and, uh, you know, your disabilities and things of that nature? Um, I think it's also important to stress that this is still in progress. Right. Like we understand so many of us that we need to go back here. But in order to move forward. Right. Because we need to build a more futuristic world. Right. Like decolonizing therapy is both wisdom and futurism. You know, decolonizing therapy is indigenous and and it is looking at the violence that occurred for our indigenous siblings. um, What has occurred to them And the land that we're on and how it affects people around us. But the other thing about it is that there's a deep piece of wanting to understand our histories so that we understand what has also been like appropriated and taken from us, right. Mm -hmm. By modern psychology, by modern social work, by modern counseling. Like what are all the ways that we have been told that, you know, we, 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 just have to study. Like my roommate right now is studying in a very prestigious school in New York city, prestigious air quotes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, she was telling me she's stressed out for her midterms and I'm like, Oh, what's going on. And why don't you ask me? I can help. Or, you know, like, how can I help you? And she's just like, no, man, I have to learn like the DSM two and the DSM three and the DSM four. And I'm like, why, why? Like one thing is reading about it to understand the harm that we've enacted. As mental health professionals, but another thing entirely is to force students to like memorize a manual older versions of the man I, like I don't know if this makes sense, but for me, it was like mind boggling and it felt like busy work in the middle of a pandemic like it didn't feel like it was leading them to think with context so that's my experience jade like my my experience being a therapist has been, I've had to hide parts of my identity. I've had to be quiet about talking about spirituality or Yoruba, like I had to be quiet to even talk about anything that anyone saw as too tribal, right? Too black, Mm -hmm. too, too cultural, too real, you know? And in reality, when I'm in therapy, sometimes we're just like, real as fuck excuse me but i hope that's okay yeah 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 yeah. i mean we're just it's real they're not sitting there like well dr mullen this is what no we're having real conversations about real things and so i think it's time that all kinds of mental health professionals including psychiatrists and nurse practitioners and this very violent psychiatric system do it different and and does do, do i does dr mullen have answers I have more questions <laughs> I have more questions headed towards better answers with other people in community do I have answers no and I don't believe that my answers should be the right one anyway if that makes it makes sense because it's a community yeah. effort in making this work mm-hmm. yeah yeah I don't know if that I don't know if I answered your question but oh yes you did okay. um because it's
0: just Amazing to me that, like, as a therapist, you had to hide parts of yourself in a field where you're supposed to be upfront about all parts of yourself. So that's like super concerning. Yeah. Um. And then also hearing that mm. your roommate is has to memorize the older that that's um. It shouldn't be shocking to me, but it's almost. It's just so upsetting especially after like reading your work and doing so much work recently um looking at how to heal as a person of color and then seeing that in institutions we're still pushing
1: these toxic I it's just yeah upsetting. yeah yeah and we're being it's just being couched in like a social justice lens or a multiculturalism lens and shoot, they're probably going to use decolonizing soon, right? Like to, to find another way. And so the bigger thing is another question can we truly decolonize while we're still in systems of deep oppression? Right. So this is something Mm. I'm always struggling with myself. Right. (laughs) It just, I'm just like, well, is this decolonizing? Can we, are we any of us decolonizing? Like, you know, like question mark after question mark, but the important piece I think is to say it out loud, to have Mm. this dialogue. Like I, I really decolonizing therapy on Instagram started as a way to see myself started as a way um and i hope it's okay that i share this so like my doctoral process um although i loved a lot of parts of my doctoral program because it was so spiritual so i spoke to that part of me but it was also very oppressive as a woman of color right like it was very 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 oppressive for me um so what i often found was the dissertation process took my voice away so even though i wrote about something i loved i had to cite everyone and their grandmother <laughs> <laughs> in order to make a point right like I wanted to say a sentence and they were like okay you have to cite that more than one source and it's just like well this is word of mouth this is storytelling this is no 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 you have to do blah 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 so I felt that in a place where we're supposed to have more of our voice instead my voice was like I couldn't breathe right? literally and how metaphorical right. For like what's happening now. Right. And I don't want to even come close to what has happened to, to so many black men and, and women and individuals around us. But what I can say for certain is that coming onto Instagram was a way for me to like, have my voice heard again and to start trusting myself. And so I never set out to be A thing. (laughs) Like I was like, I'll be happy if I have like 2000 followers, like I'll be so freaking happy. And then the next thing I know, people are like, yes, I feel the same way. Or yes, can you be my therapist? I'm like, no, I can't. But like, (laughs) Yes, can you do that? You know, like, can you do this? Can you do that? And and that's what I started realizing is um, I'm not alone. Like I'm not quote unquote, and I hate the word crazy, bunkers. Like I'm not, you know, because that's what these institutions want us to feel. Whether we're battling depression or bipolar disorder or whatever we're battling, right? Or whether we're battling grief, whether we're battling co- collective grief, whether we're battling dealing with um, a so-called personality disorder. Whatever it is, these systems benefit off of us feeling quote unquote, air quotes, broken, sick tired, alone, crazy, right? And I think any of us that have struggled with any mental health issues um, have felt these things. Like there's something wrong with me. And it's like, no, <laughs> I, I want to scream if you all can see my face. I'm like, no, and like, 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 no, like there's, there's not anything wrong with you. Like we are feeling unwell and dis-ease, dis-ease, in systems of interlocking systemic and collective oppression. Like we're Mm -hmm. really not meant to be really well because if we're well, then we're a threat. If we're well, then we start checking people on stuff, right? If we're well, then we leave and we say, hey, we're going to build community over here. If we're well, Mm -hmm. we buy 20 acres of land together and have like a beautiful black commune, right? If we're well, then we protest. And we're like, nah, F this. We're not doing this anymore. So these are tactics that have been used on us. Like the mind control, even prior to American chattel slavery, but still that whole like pitting man against women and light against dark and young against old. And and not that any of these issues don't exist, like sexism and colorism, like we still need to deal with them. But there's also part of conditioning there to help us keep like fighting each other rather than looking at this like big global hand that are killing our people overseas that have homelessness and droves here. So many black poor people and migrant poor people have died of COVID unnecessarily, right? Because of lack of good access and healthcare. Sorry, Jade, I can keep going on. (laughs) <laughs> can you tell i get really fired up but yeah um yeah i i just want to say that decolonizing therapy uh, there is no small definition because it is about finding wellness um you know decolonize ancestral wellness amidst current violence and having a a beautiful, futuristic, anti, you know, pro-Black way of doing things for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's amazing (laughs) to me that, (laughs) that like this stems from, you know, your desire to figure out things for yourself and that it's like grown into this movement. So I wanted to ask, which I feel like you touched on this a little bit, but um, I feel like when talking about decolonizing mental health and therapy, I feel like there's things that can be done, like, on a systemic level and then things that can be done on, like, an individual level. Yeah. So do you, like, for example, like, what are the things that the Decolonizing Therapy LLC does um, to, like meet that um, motive and then also like what can like what suggestions do you have for individuals um who wish to like contribute what can they do to help with this
1: yeah great question um so on a systemic level part of what we're trying to do um, and it's a slow work in progress is um, when we work with people one-on-one it is creating space um, to look at ancestry, creating space to look at systems and how they've played a role in who we are and where we are. Um, we start to unpack like we look at trauma timelines and and, mm. and wounding if some people can look back and say, "Oh, this happened to my mother and blah blah blah. Um, some people can say this occurred with my grandmother and then it occurred with my aunt. It skipped my mother and now it's affecting my sister. Um, that's powerful, right? That's that's medicine. So we learn a little bit about genograms, but we don't learn about like this traumatic river or this line that continues to like flow throughout and affect a person's well-being, Um, So part of what we do is recreate a space of wholeness for the person, Um, but we also create groups, right? Um, Because group work really comes from indigenous and African circles, right? Like group work is really about the the always coming back around together and spending time together and recognizing that the healing, the salve is between us, is in our wounds, right? Um, So that's number one. That's number 1. Um number 2 is we also work with systems. So um I am not going to name them right now, but I work with some big city um state level agencies or small departments within within these agencies, excuse me, that are trying to do some really badass organizing from within that's the best I could say. (laughs) So we try to, um, we don't try, you know, organize from within big institutions or big governments or city agencies. And we try to figure out ways to, create caucuses where white-bodied folks are talking about their dysfunctions and white pathology and people of color coming together, right? Like Black folks coming together to being able to talk about um, what has been healing for them, what has not, that they're drained, that they feel like they're going to lose their job. What are my next steps in my life? You know, we create caucuses and group spaces for healing. And then we also bring in Natural indigenous healing, you know, and that leads to the individual. Um, Some of the things I individually help people do or what individuals can do is start seeking out spaces on the mind, body and spirit level. Right. Because trauma and grief and collective trauma and grief and intergenerational trauma didn't just occur. To you or mom or grandma, it also occurred to people that we may not be able to name. We have ancestors that may not have had sacred burials, right? We may have had ancestors who drowned at the bottom of an ocean and feel a trappedness in spirit. And so how does that trapped feeling, how does that drowning feeling then get passed on and transmitted to us in present day? Does that make any sense? I hope that makes sense. So one of the first, yeah. So one of the first things I would ask people to start to write about are what is my people's story, right? Like what is my people's story? And And it could be sometimes I'm surprised and somebody in an audience or something will say, Oh, my grandmother, da, 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 da. And it's like a beautiful story. But sometimes we're like, well, I don't know. None of these stories were passed on to me. Mm -hmm." So what did you learn politically? Or what did you learn culturally about your people? And if you don't know who your people are, what resonates based on how you walk in this world, how you identify, how you don't identify. And then when we look at our people's story, I love doing like a chord of connection between our ancestral story and between who we are today and our habits, our actions, what we need to heal. Um, And so like, like a chain occurs. And one of the examples I often use, and I talked about in my dissertation is um, an example of, you know, um, on plantations in the deep South in which um, enslaved Africans were, used as labor as many of us are familiar with um this also came with dynamics that were really harmful to um individuals that identified as females right or that were, were told that they were females rather um and what often happened is that you would have an enslaved african mother being really harsh and sometimes beating her children particularly her boys out of fear that they were going to step out of line, right? And so what would that mean? If you step out of line, then you could die. You will will be lynched, you'll be murdered. So if I don't beat you and tell you to get it together, what's gonna happen is somebody else will do it and they may not stop. Um, And so if we look at child rearing practices today, this is not to minimize abuse, this is not to okay abuse, right? This is not to say that it's fine in any way, shape, or form, but we also see child-rearing practices in which lots of families are now separated, right, um, in the last 50 years through social work, right, um, counseling, psychiatry. There is tons of separation, yet there's an ancestral lineage to this violence, right, and, and the violence is truly fear, right the violence is truly about you know well if i don't keep you in line then the state will you know and the system will so um yeah jade i think i think that is a complicated aspect of understanding dynamics of understanding how we've been divided and conquered and understanding how trauma gets intergenerationally like passed on from one person to another yeah yeah
0: i think that's what i want to ask next is just to dive a little deeper into um intergenerational trauma because mm-hmm. um, i think what most people know as trauma is like the big the big t traumas yeah. that are like abuse uh like going to war things like that um but as you've mentioned like the things that our ancestors went through affect us um so can you talk about just a little bit of like the definition of intergenerational trauma just um because i like providing my audience with like yeah Like in psych, like in psych 101, you like
1: all
0: the terms of like the definition. So I'm wondering if you could like provide a definition of intergenerational trauma and then also just like what it looks like um, for those who experience it today.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like, well, the, the, the fascinating thing is that intergenerational trauma plays out across every culture and identity imaginable, right? So a lot of people, a lot of research, let me say, for psych students out there, social work students, (laughs) a lot of research, when I first started doing this work in my dissertation, it was pocketed around third-generation Holocaust survivors, right? And looking at the Holocaust, and that's valid, right? There there is a great deal of trans intergenerational trauma transmission um, for people that identify as Jews, absolutely, um, but, and, and, you know, Dr. Maria Yellowheart for have been talking about historical grief, which is very much intergenerational trauma in many ways. It is a grief right before it, prior. So I just want to say that, that the research we're also looking, when you talk about intergenerational trauma, we look at Japanese internment camps. We can look at the Armenian genocide. You can look at, um, apartheid in South Africa. Like there, there are so many ways. So intergenerational trauma is really, um, how do I say this? Historical trauma, um, that has been passed on from one generation to the next. Um, psychologically, it's often seen. It's it with that. It's like transferred in between generations, um, and it basically lets us know that trauma can be transferred from one person to the next. Right. So it could be your parents, your grandparents. They may have dealt with a particular type of trauma, and then each generation of that family continues to experience that trauma in some other shape, case, or form, right? It doesn't have to look just like, um, oh, I'm acting exactly the way my great-great-great-grandfather did. Um, An example that I provided before, right, is also like, let's say that there was a massive civil war in our country, and like, Eight generations of our family have gone through a civil war where they had to hide, where they had to flee, where they were had families separated, um, where the men were all slaughtered. And then women identified people then had to take over, had to be strong, had to be the breadwinner in these very cultures, and particular ones throughout Central America, in particular. You will see this played out in these dynamics and relationships and current day within people and themselves. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm trying to say. So, so you will see um, people of these cultures struggling in their relational and romantic relationships, right? We will also see uh, people that are identifying as women feeling like uh, I need to be the strong one. I need to hold it together. I don't need anybody to help me. Um, and yet I'm lonely and resentful, right? And and not my words. I mean, I'm just saying these are things that I'm hearing from people that I'm serving all the time. So a lot of times what I notice on an individual level is that even people coming in to get work and and to, to like work on their spirit and their emotional health are like, intergenerational trauma doesn't relate to me. It's not about me. Like, I just want to do what this happened to me when I was 16. But I think like a really good therapist or social worker uh, counselor, psychiatrist is able to listen to the issues that the person is presenting with and coming in with and being able to say, Hey, huh? Interesting. You know, you told me you identify as Guatemalan, let's say hypothetically. And I'm wondering, um, if you can identify any threads of connection between what people in Guatemala were going through during the civil wars or currently now and what you may be experiencing in your life. And I have to say like 10 times out of 10, okay. Maybe nine times out of 10, right? Nine times out of 10 people are like silent and then start crying. Or they're like, I was told I couldn't talk about that growing up. So I didn't learn about it, but I dream of it or I watch documentaries on it or you would be amazed at the door that a simple question can open when we just, we're not planting, right? We're not putting our agenda. It's not about me. It's, it's saying, Hey, do you notice any connections? Because the histories of our people are still in our blood. How does that play out in who you are today? And sometimes they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. Like, I'm just focused on now. Okay, no problem. But then two weeks later, they're like, yo, Dr. Mullen. <laughs> really? Yo, Dr. Mullen, why? Why did you put that in my head? I was like, I didn't put anything in your head. They're like, now it's everywhere. Now I'm reading about intergenerational trauma. You didn't tell me it was intergenerational trauma. I didn't know you specialize in this shit. Like, <laughs> You know, and I love it. And I'm just like, we don't have to talk about this. They're like, no, I think I need to talk about this because the difference between the big T, the little T, the historical T, how do I say this? There, The person feels like I have exhausted everything. Why am I still feeling this way? You'll hear a person say, this doesn't even feel like this is mine. You might hear them say something like, I dream about this. Or I wake up having dreams about A, B, C, and D, and then I'm off all day long. Or this reminds me of my father. Like there's so many things that people can say that are basically opening the door to say, I feel like this is bigger than me, you know? And I think that that's what like the mental health industrial complex and the psychiatric system and the hospitals don't get right? Or that people of color, particularly black, indigenous people, people have been forced to migrate, right? South Asian individuals, Filipinos, Arabs, like when we think of all the people across the world that have been forced to leave homelands, right? That have been kidnapped, that have been displaced, that have been total, oh, yeah, leave for a better time in America, but really there's been no choice because my land has been invaded and I'm taken of all resources, AKA colonization. Right. So like, that's trauma. Colonization is trauma, right? Forced migration is trauma. Capitalism is trauma because we're dying and we can't survive without each other, but we've been ripped from our cultural norms, not all of us, but many of us are like relearning it. So intergenerational trauma transmission can also happen directly or indirectly. Intergenerational trauma transmission can be one of the, one of the forms is like epigenetics. Um, epigenetic transmission is often uh, extremely subtle in that it can change DNA, right? It changes the whole, Um, Your environment can change your DNA helix, literally, right? Um, The beautiful thing is that we can also heal it, but it can change it. So what that can start to look like is um, the gene being expressed in a survival mechanism, like meaning... I'm just thinking of surviving. I'm no longer enjoying gardening or planting or running or any of these things. I'm only doing these things to survive. Everything feels like fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. Um Make, uh, uh, yeah so everything is about survival so yeah those are some I mean I can go on for hours there's yeah. so many ways to transmit trauma um role modeling is another way that trauma gets transmitted um intra uh in utero like there's so many ways that trauma gets transmitted but it, it looks kind of similar to as like when you know mothers are you know, pregnant with a child. And if mom is drinking and smoking a lot, um, this could maybe affect a child. Or if mom has dealt with a history of sexual abuse and sexual assault, we see that grandmother went through it and then great grandmother went through it actually. And then also this child is going through it. So like, why does that happen? Right. And so it, it's a sort of like substance abuse issues being passed on or anything else. Like it, it, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think something that stood out to me that you said is that this is something that kind of everyone deals with. Because um, I, I recently read um, My Grandmother's Hands. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, I've suggested it to like everyone that I know. <laughs>
1: it's, so, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and I just remember he was talking about. You know, just how um, in Europe, there was just so much violence um, in their practices of, like, executions um, and how that um, still affects people of European descent today. So I think it's really important that we're kind of recognizing that intergenerational trauma um, affects a lot more people than is perceived um, I think, especially in the Black community, it needs to be a bit more normalized. Um, not a bit, a lot. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like if if Black people were more knowledgeable about things like intergenerational trauma or things that contribute to like our everyday struggles, it would open up a little more space for healing. I've found in myself that, um, just being able to like identify things about myself or identify the reason I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, it makes it easier to sit with that sensation and it just helps the process of healing a little more. So I feel like, um, like you were saying, like just having conversations about this is, like, uh,
1: healing for the whole community. Yeah. 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 I love that healing for the whole community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: The question was, what is the current state of therapy and mental health services in the U.S. and how is it affecting black healing? Um, I feel like we've touched on that a bit. Um, But do you have like anything to add in terms of how black people are being treated by the healthcare system, specifically in terms of their mental health?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the beautiful thing in 2020, and this probably began maybe a year or two ago, is that there's such an awareness that Black folks, that we have not received what has been needed um, in order to thrive, in order to feel good about who we are and what we need, Um, meaning we're afraid sometimes to even ask to see a Black therapist, right? Or there's like, oh, they're not going to have one, or I'll just settle on this person because it should be fine. And, and don't get me wrong, there are a lot of great white therapists out there and others, right, that have analysis, right, that have an understanding of racial identity, as well as political and cultural identity, and can put it together, right? And I've, I'm also colleagues with many of them. And some will say there is a certain point in which this person needs to see someone else, that I can't continue to assist them on this journey because it would be unethical of me. And I feel good to hear that. You know, it, it feels good to hear that. But as a whole, um, Black mental health is really right now focusing on the level of escalated violence um, and having a strong focus on like racial trauma. Mm-hmm. And, like, race-based traumatic stress, which was, like, I believe coined by Robert Carter um, out of Columbia years ago. And race-based traumatic stress or, or racial trauma, which to me are pretty synonymous. Um, what we see are psychological injury, emotional injury, and, and often physical injury um, that are related to microaggressions, systemic inequities, mass violence um inappropriate incarceration we could keep going yeah um so we're looking at the effects of this level of violence on our psyches. Um, and so what is happening is that there's a lot more black identified therapists and psychologists and a bit more psychiatrists, not a whole lot. <laughs> um, we're also seeing a movement towards having a lot of therapy websites and search engines that are matching people with other therapists from across the States, which it, it's hard, right? Because the licensing boards decide, that, okay, I might be a black therapist, but I can't see anybody outside the state of New York or New Jersey if I'm not licensed out- outside of state. So these are one of the reasons that I think, no, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for it, that, like, these these boards are, like, trash. Because um, what they do is continue to place more stipulations and guidelines rather than protect the people, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not protecting the therapists, and they're not protecting the people being served, rather they're just finding ways to like after people have spent thousands of dollars on, on loans even black therapists asking them to do licensing board like take a license exam do this and a thousands of dollars thousands of dollars to do that um, so i say this to say that even though that there is more of a focus on black mental health even though we're looking more holistically even though we're saying that yes what is happening in this world is violent and has an effect on, on the people. We're still really resistant to do something about the system that mental health sits in. Does that make sense? Like, and yeah. that is my rub, is that, yes, we can be saying Black mental health all day. And that is important. Don't get me wrong. So important. Um, and, and in so many of our communities, we're like, no, I don't, I'm good. I don't need a therapist. You know, like, I don't need a therapist. Like I'm Gucci, I'm fine, you know? Um, and in some communities, like we have amazing therapists out there in the middle of Inglewood and other spots, right? Like, like, like Harlem, Tremont, Brooklyn, like really starting to create community centers so that people are not just doing therapy, but maybe they're doing, they're playing something or they're doing art while they're talking or they're playing ball while they're talking, right? Or they're knitting and they're talking like there's all these beautiful centers coming up. And to me, that is a form of decolonization as well. Yeah. Are, are these spaces where we're not doing things a Eurocentric white ass way. Like we're, we're also starting to think about how do we serve the people as the people, <laughs> like, 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 how do we give the people what they need and not just worry about um, what boards tell us to do? So in many ways, what is occurring is essential. Yeah. Um, looking at racial trauma is crucial. But again, not that I don't think it's important. I just I don't want us to just look at racial trauma and be OK with it because it's the same as like what resilience was when I was in grad school, it was like a big term and everybody was studying resilience and it's true. We are hella resilient. We are, (laughs) we're like super resilient. And, um, why are we suffering and being murdered and dying the way that we are? Right. Mm -hmm. Why are so many of us, um, still in such a state of violence and unhappiness and depression? Why are there massive rates of, substance abuse and suicide. It's not because we're weak or we're bad or we've done something wrong. It's because we continue to live and are embedded in systems that do not nurture us, do not contain us, and and are not accessible. So uh, yes, beautiful things. There are pop-up mental health centers and organizations and um, containers, energetic containers that are holding space for people, are there enough? No, because there's one school guidance counselor per like district in a black area in middle school. That's not okay. You know what I mean? And so we're talking about private practice. That's good, but it's not all of us can afford that, Mm -hmm. right? Like I can't afford all these. I can't even afford all these fees. (laughs) (laughs) It's expensive, you know? And so then it becomes a class issue like only like middle upper class black folks can afford adequate service. And, you know, it's just like an icky cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope I answered your question with more questions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, um, cause you mentioned how there's been a lot of like, like pop-up like groups. Um, and I, that's something I've noticed too, is a lot of like, um, spaces either online or like socially distance for black people and only black people and like this is the first time in my lifetime that I've seen that so outwardly like advertised
1: yeah um and I
0: think yeah. that's so cool and I think to you your um because you talk about ancestry and how our ancestors really value community and I think that it's unfortunate that everything that's happened this year has happened, but I feel like it might like reignite that sense of community. Yeah. Um especially among black people.
1: Yeah. Right yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny I want to say that um when we look back, right? When we think of the consequences of trauma and historical trauma and current systemic racism, right? Uh, because systemic racism has roots in historic racism, right? It's not, like, brand new, but it's, it's also reinforced by, like, environmental, institutional, contemporary, and cultural structures. So when we look at that, like, the systems of, like, psychology and social work, um, psychiatry, again, I'm not dogging them because I love my fields, but they're also inherently racist, Yeah. Like they're, they're systemically and inherently racist. Not that we are per se, but like every single one of us anyway, but it's like being raised in a house that was right. Like it's being like a black person that was like adopted and like, Oh, I really love this. Thank you for like this. Thank you family. But then like everyone around you is like black people trash, you know? So it's like, it's a mind F, right? Because it's like a, a brain teaser because it's like, I love, we love this work. We want to do this work, which is why I call myself a critical lover of the field, right? Like I love this field and this work so much that I just want to make it better. And yeah. I just have questions. And when my professors and my bosses and my supervisors couldn't answer these questions, it was like, is no one talking about this? Like yeah. what's happening? So to your point, you're, yes, to your point, absolutely, Right group and community work is essential because if we really want to have like a reparative impact for survivors and think how many survivors there are across this globe, right? Survivors of trauma, whether intergenerational or historical. Um, Cause one thing that a survivor has trouble doing sometimes is moving away from the original trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like feeling, <laughs> right. do, or, or do they stay silent is the family silencing us do we emotionally right. detach right so it is crucial that we begin to look at the ways in which what I call like we reparent ourselves that mm-hmm. we start to and some people talk oh a child work a child work well because it's essential it's essential because a lot of us didn't get the kind of parenting we needed to thrive mm-hmm. most of us didn't right? Yeah. So if we didn't get that, our our therapists could only do but so much. Our mentors could only do but so much. Our partners should not be re- reparenting us, right? Because <laughs> that's how we get into trouble in these situations. Um, yeah. But like, how do we start to heal? And the healing could be very lonely. So I love bringing group into it. And I think that is something that Black mental health is more conscious of is the group community container, as you said, Jay, that is like essential for our well being, mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, we're like embarrassed to like right. say like, oh, I have something going on and I don't really want to talk about it because we've been conditioned to be silent about our pain. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're watching or any of views if you watch Lovecraft Country? Oh, yes. That's yes. all me and my friends can talk about. It's like, we, can't, we just don't talk about anything and i just started like four days ago i'm not i'm just, like brand new and uh-huh. i'm like like i can't yeah, wait to watch it after i take a shower like i can't wait <laughs> it's amazing
0: i was telling because my boyfriend and i watched together i was like it's like a black stranger things like this is one of the first times we're having a science fiction show based around black people I, it's so cool
1: so cool so cool and it and it's you know I was I like met with some friends the other day and we're like I'm so struck by how clear it is to me like what perfect timing we know the situations like that I'm only on episode three so I'm I'm behind but like (laughs) we know that like the way that like the characters in the show deal with when they're talking about sundown right like you only have Yes. Eight minutes to get out of here. Otherwise I'm going to hang you. Right. Like, woo. Like, and we know that this is historical and this has happened all across the Caribbean and all the ports as well as North America. We know that there has been so much violence, but seeing the level of strength and dignity and level of resilience and survival also makes sense to me why... Black folks from the diaspora are so enraged, right? Are so enraged intergenerationally. It makes perfect sense that we, there's been so much mistreatment, so much violence, so much discardment. Like we were like garbage that it makes perfect sense. Why people today are just like, no, now we're conscious enough to realize that we're not going back to that, but it's becoming that again. And we will put our bodies on the line and die before we allow this to happen again and again and again. So sorry, I couldn't resist bringing it up Yeah, it was just like, it's complex.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think that's a great place to start to end. Um, Mm. I always ask um, what can myself and my audience do to you know, stay up to date with what you're doing, what decolonizing, um, psychology is doing. Um, and yeah, just so we can make sure to know what you're doing and how to contribute to decolonizing therapy.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, the best ways to keep up to date is to follow us at decolonizing therapy on Instagram. Um, you can also go to my website, uh, Dr. Jennifer Mullen and, there should be updates there. Um, I also have a course for those interested in honoring their sacred rage and honoring and understanding the difference between, between rage and anger. I have a course that you can obtain at www.honoringrage.com. Um, Mm. and sliding scale is also offered. Just let us know what people need and we got you. Um, that's always a given with us. So it is not even a question. Um, and, and yeah, be on the lookout. I'm also doing work with a lot of organizations right now. And I'm also in a writing mode. And so just be, I just want to say be on the lookout for like mid 2021. There's just, it's just a lot of like working in the trenches to make things happen. If that makes any sense. Like it's like all no. these projects that are like, trying to get out there, you know, there's just a lot, lots happening. Um, But those are the best ways also on Twitter, uh, Dr. Jenny Jen M, you can follow me and my little nuggets (laughs) that I try to (laughs) drop every other day when I can remember sometimes, to be honest, sometimes social media feels like a lot, you know, so even with myself, I notice I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I haven't posted since like early September. And I'm like, This is is what it is like, (laughs) right? Like I don't have any, sometimes I don't have anything, but myself to take care of. Yeah. Um, But those are the best ways to continue to support. Um, We also have donations. If if you are in abundance of finances, (laughs) um, feel free to donate. I have a PayPal link that I have attached to my bio, Decolonizing Therapy, our Venmo, PayPal, all of it goes to, um, queer, black, brown, indigenous people receiving ancestral healing services and work and group work, um, through decolonizing therapy. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you
0: so much for being here. I'm glad we were finally able to meet. Likewise.
1: Um, Thank you for your patience. Oh
0: yeah. Thank you too. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm just really excited to, um, share this episode with people and then see where this conversation goes from here
1: likewise yep. thank you so much for your time listeners viewers thank you for listening thank you for engaging with us and may you continue to answer ask and live your way into answers of the hard questions mm-hmm.
0: Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Mullen and I hope you find as much value in it as I have. Please be sure to look at the description of this episode to see how you can follow Dr. Mullen and contribute to decolonizing therapy. Also, please leave a review for the podcast um reviews help this podcast and our call to destigmatize mental health into more ears so if you have the time that is greatly appreciated thank you again for listening and i will see you next episode